0: Well, thank you. You can know that God is at work here, and we want you to be a part of it. And if you're new at Calvary or you've been here a long time, there's a place for you to step in and let God transform your life and be engaged in the movement of His Spirit, what He's doing here in in our church. And we're excited about this season of Advent. As I mentioned earlier, this is the second Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of peace. Advent means arrival. We prepare for the arrival of Jesus. uh, What the theologians call the Incarnation. God becoming human flesh. And so the Advent season is an opportunity to prepare ourselves for that big celebration on Christmas. I, I hope you're involved in that and engaging your family. If you're a couple or a single, I hope you have found and gone online and picked out a devotional that you can be using during Advent. It's a great opportunity to pick, up, pick that up and uh, f- follow along. And each day be preparing your heart and your life for the Advent celebration that's coming on Christmas Day. We want to be able to do that as a church as well. And so we've been in this Advent season involved in a little series we're calling the Songs of Christmas. The Songs of Christmas, we find those in the Gospel of Luke. You may think that Christmas carols really started from St. Ambrose in the 14th century. That's kind of where it goes back historically. But really the Gospel writer Luke gave us probably the first four canticles or Songs of Christmas from some participants in the Christmas story. We looked at the first one last week, the, the Song of Mary, probably the most familiar to the, of all of them to us, the Magnificat. comes from the first la- a word in Latin of her prayer, that her soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord. We looked at that last week. And next week, Mary was the most familiar. Next week, we'll look at the least familiar from the Song of Simeon. Simeon, a minor character, but a significant song that came from his heart. We'll be looking at that. It's known as the Nunc Dimittis. We'll translate that from Latin next week, and you'll hear more about what that means and the lessons for our lives as well. And then we'll wrap up with the angels song, or the song of the shepherds, sung by the angels to the shepherds on the hillside outside of Jerusalem as the shepherds were tending the sheep on the night that Jesus was born. Today, though, we want to look at the Song of Christmas being the Song of Zechariah. Now, you may think, "Mm, Zechariah, how did that Old Testament prophet get into the Christmas story? Well, not that Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah, a different one. Maybe you're not even familiar with him and you think, wow, I've I've missed that, Mary, Joseph and Zechariah. Well, Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist, and we're going to see how his life story became part of the Christmas story today. His song is known by the Latin title, Benedictus. Benedictus means blessed. And naming Zechariah's song Benedictus actually gives some of the story away. It jumps us to the end of the story. We realize, oh, his story ends up with him being blessed. But if we just pick that up from the story, it's like picking up a book, a maybe a mystery or a drama, and reading the last chapter. Don't ever do that. He gives away the book, and you miss the good twists and turns of the plot as it develops. Uh, That's what makes Zechariah's story so intriguing, is the story itself before he gets to the Benedictus, to the blessing of God. Yeah, I get it. It's given away. Uh, Zechariah was blessed. That's the end of his story. But his story definitely didn't start out that way. And even as you're going through the story, you think, there's no way this is going to end up in a blessing. How can that be? Well, the gospel writer, Luke, presents his story to us in Luke's gospel, the first chapter. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn there with me in that, or if you have it on your device. If you're not real familiar with your Bible, I'll tell you a little bit, Luke is the third of the four Gospels. You know, the Bible is divided into two parts. It's okay if you're a little fuzzy and not quite understanding that. It's Old Testament, New Testament. And the New Testament begins with four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today, the first chapter. And there Luke tells us, starts to tell us the story of Zechariah that ended up with Zechariah's song. He writes this in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of, of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now we don't often think of those verses when we consider the Christmas story. They come right before the, the important, the good stuff in the Christmas story. The narrative of the angel coming to Mary and the songs of the, uh, to the shepherds and the birth of Jesus in the stable and all the stuff we really know and love about the Christmas story. They're, they're kind of like the this passage, like the foreword or the preface of a book. My guess is, like I go to a book and I don't often spend a lot of time in the preface or the foreword or the introduction. I want to get to the book. Well, that's kind of Zechariah's story. We could easily skip over it and just get to the birth narrative of Jesus. But if we did, we'd miss an important lesson that God has woven in the Christmas story that he wants us to learn from. For Luke tells us that Zechariah was a descendant uh, of the Old Testament character Aaron. Okay, Aaron, let's see. You may think back and say, yeah, Aaron was the older brother of Moses, the great leader of of Israel. And for uh, Aaron, every one of his male descendants automatically became a priest, In ancient Israel. It was the line of the priests. And so Zechariah was a priest. And and he was about to have uh, kind of the ultimate priestly experience. The long-awaited opportunity of his priestly career to go into the Holy of Holies in the Jewish temple. To burn incense. To offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. And that was the high point of every priestly career, to be able selected to do that. In fact, Luke points that out in verse 8. He said, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. You see, there were so many descendants of Aaron at this time in Israel's history, so many priests, they developed sort of a lottery system to choose uh, which priest would serve in this role on a particular day. Well, they would want to go into the Holy of Holies, the, the holiest place in Israel, to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. And Zechariah had been chosen by lot, by casting the dice in a sense, been chosen that this would be the day that he would get that honor, the highest honor in his career. The Holy of Holies. It was the place where God dwelt among Israel. And the priest would take the incense, put it on the fire, and the smoke would rise from the fire. And it was symbolic of the prayers of the people going up to God as they waited outside. And when they saw the smoke They'd fall on their faces in worship and adoration and offer their thanksgivings and their petitions to God. And then as it all ended, the priest would walk out, his arms extended from the Holy of Holies, and he'd offer God's blessing over all the people. And for any priest to be selected to do that role, it was a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And this was the day that Zechariah, was selected to do it. And as he's there uh, fulfilling that priestly role, he, he offers up before God the tragedy of his peop- the people of Israel because they're at this time living under the murderous reign of King Herod. And so Zechariah's representing the people in their tragedy, of what the, the situations of their lives. But at the same time, he's trying to hold up under his own personal tragedy. You see, Dr. Luke, the writer of this gospel, a physician, he notes that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were without children. Now, you may know that and realize that in that culture, uh, being childless was considered to be a curse. Uh, Even the Greek word that's used to describe their childlessness is harsh and uh, pregnant with meaning it's the word that's translated barren it, it means empty unfruitful disgraced now our english translation the niv uh, softens that makes it more politically correct says they were she was unable to conceive but it's much stronger than that she was barren she was looked down upon in that culture And so, the point Luke is making is that mingled with Zechariah's prayer on behalf of his people, Israel, were these longings, deep heartfelt longings for himself and for his wife Elizabeth, who was barren. You see, at this point in his life, he was doing his priestly duty, but feeling very unblessed. Like maybe we can do sometime, going through the motions of ministry. But there's so much going on inside of us when our hearts are broken. We feel spiritually barren. That's Zechariah at this point. And so in the midst of all of this, as you see the plot begins to develop and thicken. In the midst of all of this, God intervenes in a dramatic way in the story. We see that in, in verse 11. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Well, when Zechariah heard those words from the angel, from Gabriel, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. I wonder if he quickly thought to himself which prayer? The one for my people as their priest? Or the ones I used to pray for my wife. And this is where the story gets really interesting. The intrigue grows. Because the grammar that Luke employs here. Indicates that the angel was referring to his prayer. For the redemption of Israel. For the people. And the implication here is. That he and Elizabeth long ago had given up praying for a child they were much too old but the angel hadn't forgotten god hadn't forgotten one writer uh, put this said this he said the world is shaped shaped by two things stories told and the memories they leave behind well for zechariah and elizabeth their story had been one of being unblessed without a child, barren. And the memory was that God just didn't care any longer. But God hadn't given up on Elizabeth and Zechariah like they had given up on him. For in this answer to Zechariah's prayer for Israel's redemption, the angel adds, oh, By the way, those words you don't see there, but that's the point. P.S., God's also going to weave into that answer for the people, an answer to your long-forgotten prayers for a son. In essence, the angel is telling Zechariah, Listen, God is at work for his plan and his purpose for all of Israel and all of humanity, just as you prayed as priest. And that also involves you and Elizabeth and the baby that you have stopped praying for. Is that incredible or what? As the story begins to wind up, do we really believe that can happen? That, that events of our lives simple as they may seem, though they're profound to us, can they be part of God's bigger picture for a community or a city or a nation or the world? Can something in us have that kind of impact and be part of that kind of plan? Like, like how could the infertility uh, problem of one couple have any significance beyond their own close family and friends? Or, how could my health issues have anything to do with people I've never met? Or, how could your search for a job have any connection with people you've never heard of? It doesn't seem to make sense, does it? That we could be so connected to God's bigger plan. And I suspect that's exactly what Zechariah was thinking when the angel talked to him. As he tries to process, what did I just hear? What did the angel say? Why do I say that? Well, just look at what comes out of his mouth next as the story continues in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. My translation of that would be something like, Zechariah says, Gabriel, with all due respect, Are you kidding me? Uh, Maybe the incense is too strong in here. (laughs) What are you smoking? Uh, That can't be. And his disbelief is betrayed by that statement. He says, I have no hope left. How can this be? I'm an old guy. Now, I might be able to uh, have a a baby, but my wife, she's no spring chicken. She's well beyond the years of having a baby. This isn't funny, you'd say to the angel. It was Oz Guinness who called Zechariah's response evidence of a scar from an old wound. I think that's true. You you see, the pain of Zechariah's past had frozen him there. No matter what the angel said, Zechariah couldn't get beyond his own disappointment, his own disillusionment, which had petrified in his life into a, a present disbelief, of lost hope. He and Elizabeth, they had prayed and they'd prayed that God would bless them with a the child, maybe for years, but they'd received nothing but unblessing. No answer to their prayers. And so. They stopped praying. And now that God, in his perfect timing, in his sovereign wisdom, is going to do something in Israel as a nation, it's time also to give them a child that would be part of the outworking of that plan. Zechariah just can't believe it. He can't receive it in his heart that is frozen with disbelief. And he's lost all hope. He can't even muster a, a little wonderment like Mary had when she was overwhelmed with the announcement of the angel. But she still had a little wonderment. How can this be? What might hope might there be for me? Zechariah had none of that. We'll see why in a moment. Have you ever been there? A place like that? So disappointed in God's silence that you lost hope? that he would ever respond? So you stopped praying. Maybe you even stopped believing. Or maybe the lack of an answer, the silence of God, kept you from believing in the first place, even to this day. Have have you ever given given up hope on God because you're convinced yourself that he's given up on you? And you prayed, for example, for God to fix something in your life, and, nothing. Or he messed. something happened, but it wasn't really what you needed, what you wanted. And so you concluded that he no longer cared for you. Was no long, longer willing to work with you. That he would moved on to someone else with more promise and less baggage. Somebody else will get his blessing. I know some of you are there today, aren't you? You say, that's Zechariah is my story. That's, let me tell you, why God brought you here today. To hear his story. And and perhaps even to dare to sing his song again as we get to the end of it. God wants you to know he hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't deleted you. He hasn't unfriended you. He hasn't lost your contact information. He knows right where you are. He knows the longing, maybe even the absence of hope and disbelief in your life. So, how do we move? (laughs) How do we move from where we are, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, to where God wants us to be? How do we get from feeling unblessed to being blessed, to the Benedictus? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's the rest of Zechariah's story as it goes from here. We see it unfold and begin in verse 19. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Zechariah is now locked up in nine months of silence because of his unbelief, because of his loss of hope. And now he has plenty of time to evaluate his disbelief and his disappointment in God. And in so doing, he will discover that God is still in control of his life. God is still interested and engaged in working out his plan in and through this new baby that God's going to give to them. But it's part of a bigger plan, a plan that he never dreamed possible. And God says, trust me, watch me, allow me to work. And and Zechariah has nine months to reflect on that. And finally, in that period of that nine months, he discovers, reads and discovers his trust in God. He renews his faith, restores his walk and his hope in God. As he discovered that God hadn't forgotten him. That God still had a plan to bless him. It was just part of a bigger plan than he ever realized. How do I know that? Because of what happened after the birth of their promised son, John. Uh, We see that in verse 64 as we slide down toward the end of the story. Just before he breaks out in song. And then the crowd there at the house made signs to his father, to Zechariah. The crowd came around at the birth of the son of John the Baptist. And and they wanted to find out what he would like to name the child. So he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Just the angel had told him previously. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. And his praise was expressed in this beautiful song of Zechariah that the story concludes with. Uh, Words like these, it opens in verse 68. He says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of Israel. Of his servant David, a reference to the Messiah, to Jesus. Well, you already know now, gave it away at the beginning, that Zechariah's story doesn't end with him being unblessed. That's why it's called the Benedictus, because he was blessed. In the end, he was blessed by God. And now you know how he went from feeling unblessed to being blessed beyond measure as he discovered that God hadn't forgotten him. God hadn't moved on to someone else with greater promise and potential. God was only waiting for the right time, the full time, to reveal his blessing to Zechariah and to Elizabeth. And I suspect that there are some here today who relate all too well to Zechariah's Christmas journey. I know I've been there Times in my life believing that God's silence equaled his unconcern. That he had moved on to someone else with more promise and greater faith that I was left in the dust. Only to discover that, no, God was there all along. Even in his silence, he was present and working and waiting to bring his bigger plan to fruition. And perhaps... That's the lesson you need today as well. You need to hear that this Advent season, that God shows up even when we feel unblessed to remind us that he wants to bless us beyond what we ever imagined. There's still a benedictus, a blessing awaiting us as God works in our lives. And maybe you would say with Zechariah, you know, My disappointment with God has kept me away from Him forever. I I don't understand Him. God wants to say, come back. Let me restore your hope. Let me renew your faith or give you faith for the first time to enter into a relationship with Him. What better time could there be at this Advent season to say, God, I'll give you a chance. Renew my heart. Heal my heart. Maybe resurrect my heart and my hope. Help me to discover the reality of what it means to have a relationship with you, to be at peace with you for the first time. We'd love to help you take that step and discover the reality of that. Maybe you walk that line and you become discouraged and disillusioned. and Your faith has been on hold because you have lost your hope. Zechariah's story can bring you back to the reality that God has not forgotten you. God's not set you aside. God's not tired of you. He hasn't put you on the shelf and said, well, there you had your chance. God says, no, my mercies are new every morning. I can work in your life. I can bring hope and healing to all your brokenness. I can bring salvation to your soul and renew your hope. We pray that you might give God an opportunity to do that in your life today. Our prayer team will be available at the end of the service, and they'd love to pray for you and love to help you take that step if we can. Let's bow together as we close this morning. God, we thank you for this amazing journey of a man who looked unblessed, hopeless, barren, whose faith had been lost, whose hope had been destroyed, and and yet you came to his life and you came to his wife and his family and you gave them hope. You showed them that you are a God of renewal and resurrection and restoration. And I pray, oh God, today that across this room you might give us that hope. For those, maybe who are here, who their broken dreams and lost hope has kept them away from you, Lord, I pray that you might restore that and renew them and draw them, Father, to Jesus today. And for those who have given up hope, stopped praying, Lord, might you remind them that you want to bless them beyond what they could have ever imagined. We thank you for that hope and that promise, that truth from This man's life, might it be true in our own, we pray. Amen.